The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And a very pleasant good evening to you, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our weekly get-together to talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And this one should be a very interesting one here this evening as... We are going to sit down and talk about our award winners. We're also going to talk about the playoffs, and this being our final episode of our final, or our fifth year, I should say, should be a very entertaining episode. And alongside, as always, as we always have to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm well, David, but I think, uh, you know, we may have to make some changes uh, next year in terms of how we're going to approach 2016, because you introduced me every week as the resident Reds expert, and if I were indeed an expert, I think the Reds would have been listening to me, and they would have done, they would have taken some of my suggestions, but clearly they don't don't see me as an expert, and ergo, the suggestions I've made have gone unheeded, which means the Reds finished 36 games out of first place this year. You know, there's one question I've wanted to ask you all year long. We, we've done this show for five years. This is longer than your first marriage, wasn't it? <laughs> well, there's only been one marriage. Uh, oh. Uh, so okay. I, I must say my marriage has lasted longer than this show, but, David, not nearly as much fun, okay? This show is a <laughs> lot of laughs. Well, first, first things first. Some house cleaning items. First of all, if you're a Cleveland Indians fan, it was sad news to report here this evening and what I heard this morning. Dean Chance, former Cleveland Indians pitcher and Cy Young Award winner from the former Los Angeles Angels, now the Los Angeles Angels after they were the California Angels and then before that were the Los Angeles Angels. Well, he died over the weekend. Mark, he was from nearby here, Northwestern High School. He won the Cy Young Award in 1964. He was age 74. He won a state title in baseball in 1958 for Northwestern and then won a state title in basketball in 1959, and he retired at the age of 31. Just an amazing career for the guy. He had 23 wins in 1964. He was, at that time, the youngest Cy Young Award winner ever at the age of 23. You know, it's interesting. I saw the statistics today, and he had a lifetime ERA of 298 which you would think would get a guy into the Hall of Fame. And I remember hearing this maybe four or five years ago. They were talking about Tommy John's surgery and how it has changed the careers of, I don't know how many scores, if not hundreds of players, and how a guy back in the day, in the 60s, uh, and you, you could think about uh, Sandy Koufax, Don Gullett, uh, Dean Chance, these guys were so talented, and they would have they would have had careers, la- you know, well into their forties if Tommy John's surgery had been available to them, and the kind of medical advances that have been made since that time. But back then, if you got a sore arm, and uh, you know you had major surgery, your career was done. And in, in the case of a Don Gullett, Don Gullett could have pitched. And, you know, the, the, the shoulder surgeries that they're, they're doing now, completely reconstructing soldier, uh, shoulders, uh, it's miraculous how these pitchers can come back. And in many cases, with Tommy John, they're picking up three to four, five miles an hour on their fastball after the surgery. And hopefully that is going to happen to Homer Bailey this year or next year. Well, one other thing about Dean Chance I want to let you know is that, you know, I've been going to – high school basketball and football games throughout the years around this area for the last 20 years. And every time the high school that I represent goes to Northwestern, 
Mark, Dean Chance was always there at a high school basketball or football game. Uh, he didn't frequent the baseball games in the latter years because of the cold weather, but he was always there for football and basketball games, and that's saying a lot out of an individual that was the star caliber that he was of a Major League Baseball player. Well, I think fans forget that, that these players, they were athletes, they were fans, they loved sports, and, and they gravitate back to what they, they liked when they were a kid. And I'm sure he went to a lot of games as a kid. And after he retired, he certainly had the time and opportunity to partake of those games again. But, you know, I remember Dean Chance coming up in 1964. Uh, I think I was in third, fourth, fifth grade, but I was a big baseball fan. And I remember Dean Chance being a really good-looking guy. He, you know, he looked, and he was out in California and won, won the Cy Young Award. And wasn't he on the same team with Bo Belinsky? Yes, I remember those two guys being kind of the, uh, you know, the the Hollywood types playing in L.A. <laughs> and uh, uh, Bobulinski and Dean Chance and that, that that team had some had some players on it. It it definitely did. One other thing I want to do is send out birthday wishes to my mother, who is I won't say how old she is. She's turning 29 for I think about the 52nd consecutive year, but we won't say that. Uh, she loves baseball almost as much as she loves an ingrown toenail, but she said she would listen tonight just for me to say hello and happy birthday to her. So happy birthday to my mother. And the Indians made some moves, Mark, over the week. Let's get into some baseball on our final episode of the year. As we predicted on this show back as soon as we knew that Mark Shapiro was going to take the Toronto job, Chris Antonetti has been moved to the president of baseball operations. Mike Chernoff has moved from assistant GM to the GM position, and Derek Falvey is now the assistant GM. Antonetti will remain as the primary baseball decision maker, though, with Chernoff and Falvey taking on more responsibilities. Both have assisted Antonetti in recent years on contract negotiations, the makeup of Cleveland's roster, and other decisions, and owner Paul Dolan will assume Shapiro's duties on the business side, which means Chris Antonetti is still going to make the decisions on the baseball field, and Paul Dolan will not have the decisions as to when to have fireworks and dollar dog night at the stadium. So, David, let me ask you, uh, what the hell has changed? <laughs> nothing, absolutely nothing, including the rhetoric coming out of the front office, which totally disturbed me. The first interview that I heard Chernoff have with a radio station here in town, they asked him, why should fans think that the Indians are going to make some moves during the off season?" And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, we finished the year on a high note. We feel good going into next year. And I about pulled what's left of my hair out of my head. Again, it's going to be another offseason where the Indians do absolutely nothing. But on the other hand, Mark, I see where Walt Jockety is saying that the Reds are going to go with the youth movement next year. Big surprise. And, um, you know, it, it's trying to, you end the year, the second year in a row, and it's been lousy two years to the Reds. This This year, arguably, was one of the Worst years, you could say one of the worst years in the history of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, they were 36 games out of first place. Um, that hasn't happened since 1945. And the, the whole organization is suffering with a lack of leadership at the very top that has been going on for the last four or five years. And um, as we get into our suggestions for how these teams can improve themselves. Uh, I made some notes I wanted to, to, to share with you and our listeners when that time comes. But it, it's very, very frustrating to look into 2016, 2017, and see the Reds completely disintegrating as an organization. And I'm not trying to be negative. I'm really not. I, I want to be positive. I'm a huge Reds fan. But it's highly probable the Reds are going to lose the greatest arm in recent baseball history in a role as Chapman this year because they don't need a closer. And they're going to trade him after completely screwing up uh, th th this arm. The guy should have been a starter five years ago, and be he, he could have been a Randy Johnson. And unless the Reds decide 
to make him a starter, they will have lost out on a great talent. They have Joey Votto, who I think is one of the great, he, he's one of the great hitters in Reds history. And that's, that's, that's an objective comment. Statistically, this guy rates right up there with the greatest of all time with the Reds. And why have him? You know, he's with, with a team that is not going to win next year. They're not going to win in 17 probably. And they're paying him $20 million a year. Why? So the Indians, I think, have something to look forward to. Frankly, I don't see a lot of hope for the Reds unless they make some of the changes that I'll, I'll be suggesting later on. Well, we'll get into that. Our award winners for the Major League Baseball season and for the Reds and Indians and also what we think both teams need to do. We'll do that in the second half hour. But we might as well delve right into it, Mark. The controversy that happened on Saturday night in the Mets-Dodgers playoff series and the slide that Chase Utley made into Ruben Tejada at second base trying to break up a double play. Now, as everyone knows, and I'm just going to go ahead and remind everyone, Mark and I, the only thing we go over, if we do this, is go over the agenda of what we are going to talk about on the show. We don't give our opinions to each other before the show begins. And when I spoke with you this morning, Mark, I said, don't tell me what you think about this. I want to hear it on tonight's show, and we'll discuss it. So this is your first opportunity to voice your opinion on the Chase Utley slide into Ruben Tejada. What did you think, and what do you think should have happened? Well, first of all, if this may sound silly, and I don't mean it to be silly, but if Tejada's leg was not broken, do we have a discussion here? If this is Texas-Toronto, do we have a discussion? Uh, well, it's it's somewhat rhetorical because um, if his leg had not been broken, the slide he made in the second base, number one, was not illegal. As long as you can reach the bag with your hand or your foot, your leg, any part of your body, if you can reach the bag from where you slide, it is a legal slide. So you, I've got a 37-inch sleeve. That means I'm three feet from the bag. I, I could slide three feet away from the bag in either direction, reach out and touch the bag, and take out the second baseman or the shortstop, and that is a legal slide. Now, you can argue that his slide was too late, that he hit the ground too late, and he went after uh, the shortstop or the second baseman. But the slide was not illegal. So unless they change the rule uh, before the game that I'm not aware of, I don't know how they can suspend him uh, by the way the rules are written. Now, the commissioner can look at the tape and said, did he try purposely to break that guy's leg, or did he simply try to take his legs out from under him and unfortunately, the leg got broken. But again, if the leg was not broken, I don't think anybody would have thought twice about that slide. As a result, I don't think he ought to be punished. Well, first of all, I'm certainly glad you told us the length of your sleeve and not your shoe size. That, that's the first thing. <laughs> Second thing is, I am in total agreement with you as far as this slide with Chase Utley. I am just totally astounded that this thing and that there are so many media members yelling and screaming that this was a dirty slide. This is a slide that happens every regular season game. As a matter of fact, Mark, I've, I've almost brought up a couple of times to you during this season that I'm just completely appalled by the way that some of these baseball players give up on double plays and just turn and, and run the other direction and don't even try to break up anything anymore at second base. The fact is, is that if these second basemen and shortstops around the bag, and I guess you could say third baseman now because of the way the shifts are, and sometimes the third baseman is covering the bag at second on a double play, if they're going to be protected and given the liberty of a phantom tag, the runner has to be given the capability of 
breaking up that double play somehow, some way, as long as he is within reach, like you said, of the bag, which is perfectly legal. Now, there, remember when, Mark, there were times that there was talk about how some of the shortstops and second basemen would throw the ball to first base down low to make sure that those runners got down in their slide. They were trying to hit them between the eyes with the baseball if they didn't get down. That's not done anymore, and it's not done anymore because these runners don't go into the fielder at second base. That is a a long time, I'm going to call it a tradition in baseball, that you take out that guy at second base to break up the double play. And in this situation, Mark, with Utley at first and a runner at third, that runner at third was the tying run. If they complete the double play, that run at third doesn't score. Utley's got a responsibility to take out that guy at second base to keep that double play from happening so his team can tie that game up against the Mets, and that's what he did, and they tied the game up, and they eventually went on and won that game. Yeah, I don't know where the commissioner gets off trying to read the intent of Chase Utley. I I have never heard any comments about Chase Utley being a dirty player. Neither have I, except for today. All of a sudden I heard about all these things that Chase Utley has done, and I have never heard these before. Well, they may be accurate. The fact that we haven't heard them before doesn't mean they're not accurate. But I've never heard it. But if you're going to be that kind of player, and don't forget – Chase Utley is a second baseman, and uh, it, it, had he been the the object of a lot of ridicule for his his demeanor, or if, is he a dirty player or something, he would have been knocked in the left field several times already by runners coming in and trying to you know knock him out. Uh, I've not heard that or seen that, but you know you mentioned that throw from an infielder, a middle infielder to the first baseman. Oh my gosh. You know, back in the day, I remember Roy McMillan used to play for the Reds. He was he was famous for that. He'd come in and throw sidearm, and man, if you if you weren't down, you get your you get the baseball between your eyes. And I went to baseball camp with him. In fact, he was my manager down at Reds Dream Week, and he he was t- talking about that. That you know these guys would come in, and you know back then you didn't have that rule of the you know reaching the bag. So sometimes these big left fielders would come in and, hell, they'd be almost in the grass trying to take out an infielder. And he said the only way you saved yourself was to throw underhand or three-quarter arm so these guys got down. You know, I heard some major league players today also, Mark, even come out and say, Tejada's the one that caused this whole situation because he tiptoed around the bag and didn't get out of the way of Utley. He just stood there. And just took his sweet old time getting out of the way. And Utley did what he was supposed to do. Well, of course, that drew the ire of several media members, especially around ESPN today and CBS, that they just think that this, this slide was the absolute worst thing that has happened in baseball. But when I look at it, Mark, Tejada was the one that really, to me, caused the problem. And another thing... Do you remember back in the 73 playoffs when Pete Rose and Bud Harrelson got into it? Oh, yeah. Same situation. Oh. It was virtually the same situation. Pete was sliding into second base, taking out Bud Harrelson. Harrelson didn't appreciate it and went after Pete. Well, again, the the fact that his leg is broken is the news. It's not the slide. If that And the other thing was that what caused that play to occur in the first place was a was a bad throw from the shortstop. Now, you, you know, he he had a tough play and he threw it as best he could, but the ball put the second baseman at risk, and he tried to make the play as he should. Utley tried to take him out as he should, and what would have happened had Utley, you know, turned away and not gone after Tejada in in a playoff game like that? You go back to the dugout. What do you think your teammates are going to say? Oh, especially with that tying run at at third. Exactly right. So I don't think Utley did anything wrong in that play, and despite the fact that he, again, if he's got a reputation, I've never heard about it, but even if he does, on that specific play, I don't think he did anything wrong, and the idea that he can be suspended is absurd. He's not in the lineup tonight, which kind of surprised me, 
But I think there was some real concern he was going to get one through the ear hole and, and maybe, you know, taken out at second base himself. So uh, that may be the reason they didn't do it. But, you know, if that's the case, he might have might as well have gotten suspended. Well, especially since they're playing at City Field in New York tonight, the first playoff game that they've had since, what, 2006? That's right. You know, and, and right now the Dodgers are leading that game 3-1, to one, and they're in the bottom of the second inning, <coughs> and the Mets have the bases loaded and nobody out. Hey, the Cubs are leading the Cardinals tonight 7-4. to four. That's in the bottom of the eighth. That series is tied up at 1-1. Wouldn't that be amazing if the Cubs beat the Cardinals, Mark? That would be. I, I hope they do. I'm, I'm a Cubs fan after I'm a Reds fan. I lived in Chicago for 10 years, and uh, have, I actually played at Wrigley Field one day. Uh, kind of fun. But, um, yeah. Did you get tangled up in the, the Ivy? No, I played I played third, but um, it, it was a real treat, you know, taking batting practice there. And, and Although, you know, it's funny. Um, I remember that game pretty well, just digressing for a second. Old Wrigley Field, what a dump. <laughs> I mean, before they – I couldn't believe I was in – I thought for some reason we went into the locker room and go to the clubhouse in the locker room, and I thought I was in. It had to have been a locker room for the minor leaguers, or so, I couldn't believe it was a major league locker room. I'd been in a Riverfront Stadium, I'd been in uh, um, Great American Ballpark and, and White Sox Park and a few other ones, and all the spring training facilities I played in, and this was a major league place, and it was a dump. I mean. It was a dump, and I couldn't believe it was a major league, uh, major league field. It's incredible. The, the outside, you know, the field was spectacular, but not inside. Well, they're trying to make as many um, improvements to Wrigley Field as they possibly can over the next five years. Supposedly, they've already put up the two scoreboards and got new bleachers out there in, in left and right field. And right now, the Cubs are leading. The Cardinals by a score of 8-4 to four now in the bottom of the eighth inning. Like I said, the Dodgers and Mets are at 3-1. to one. The Dodgers lead that one in the bottom of the second. What a game this afternoon, Mark, between the Royals and the Astros. The Astros were going for the clincher. They had a 6-2 to two lead going into the top of the eighth inning. And Tony Sipp was in the ballgame, former Indian pitcher, and he imploded. And the Royals ended up scoring five runs, taking a 7-6 to six lead into the bottom of the eighth inning. And then they hit a two-run homer. Eric Hosmer with a two-run homer in the top of the ninth. And the Royals came back from 6-2 to two down to win that game 9-6, to six, tie things up. And they'll play game five, the deciding game of that one, on Wednesday back in Kansas City. That's a series I'd like to see the Astros win. But, Mark, I'll tell you, losing that game the way that they did this afternoon, Kansas City's got all the momentum now. Yeah, it comes down to the one game, but it, and it's too bad. If you, I don't know if you saw the highlights of that game, but that, that ground ball to the shortstop went over Correa's head, bounced over his glove, would have been a, a double play. They'd have scored one run, but that probably would have got him out of the inning. And uh, that was almost like the Tony Kubek ground ball in the, what, in the 60 World Series. Yes. He got hit in the Adams apple. And that opened up, uh, I think, a five-run inning, eighth inning for the Pirates to win that to win that deciding game. And guess who's throwing for the Royals in Game Five? Johnny Cueto. Man, he better pitch better than he did before. <laughs> He's throwing Game Five. I just checked it, and he is the scheduled starter for the Royals in Game Five Wednesday. And then earlier tonight. The Toronto Blue Jays beat the Rangers 8-4. to That series, Mark, has been a strange one. Texas won the two games in Toronto. Toronto won the two games in Texas. Now they go back to Toronto for Game 5. That is also on Wednesday. David Price got the win. Mark, he came in in relief. R.A. Dickey had a 4-1 to lead with one man on after pitching into the bottom of the fifth inning. He pitched four and two-thirds. He's never had a postseason victory. And they pulled it and brought in David Price. <laughs> and he got out of the inning and picked up the victory. Well, that's that's the end of that story. I mean, it's the manager was right. You don't, you don't, Absolutely. you don't, for in playoffs, you don't screw around with uh, 
things like who gets the win. You you, you just win the game. So I, I have no problem with the manager doing that. So that those two series are tied up at two games apiece. They'll be played on Wednesday. And like I said, the Cubs are leading over the Cardinals. That series is tied at one game apiece. The Dodgers and the Mets are playing. The Dodgers lead that one. That series is tied at one game apiece. And those two games, games four, will be played tomorrow around Major League Baseball. So that's what's happening as far as the playoffs are concerned. Mark, one other manager was fired this week, Lloyd McClendon from Seattle. He's gone. No real surprise there. You know, uh, Lloyd McClendon, if I recall, had one decent year with Pittsburgh. And I don't remember, I don't understand why he has gotten so many managerial jobs. And he's been a manager, what, for 10, 12 years. And I, I don't think, I, I'm sure he has a losing record. So I, I don't know what uh, attraction there is with Lloyd McClendon, but um, apparently he wore out his welcome pretty quickly. I, I want to go to this Washington Nationals job before we get into our award winners because this just totally befuddles me. Why is it that everybody thinks that Cal Ripken Jr. would be the perfect fit for the Washington Nationals? I have no idea. If, as far as I'm concerned, he's never managed at a, at a major league level. I don't even know he managed at the minor league level. If, if he never and never. Okay. <laughs> What's the same with Barry Larkin? Uh, people think just because they play here that they're going to be good on the bench, they're going to be good with the players and the press and all the things they have to do outside of baseball. Being a, ba a major league baseball manager is not about making out your lineup card or, or strategy on the bench. You know, a trained monkey can manage a baseball team. It, it isn't that tough. The hard part is managing all the ancillary stuff. You know, 20, dealing with 25 personalities and your coaches and the press and all the other distractions that, that come up during a baseball season. It's, it's not the X's and O's. Uh, you know, I've played a lot of sports, and honest to God, I love baseball and I love the players. But <laughs> baseball players and the sport can't hold a candle to the intellectual horsepower of a football coach or even a football player. I mean, you, you have to have a high IQ to play football. And I know people don't believe that, but you do. And to be a football coach, you have to be damn near a genius to be a professional football coach. Not the case for baseball. It just ain't that tough. But the, the, the managers today uh, are a different breed than they were before. And they, you know, you go back to Billy Martin and some of these guys who were just uh, hellraisers and, and yell, they yelled and screamed at their players. That doesn't happen anymore. This is a different era. So you need almost like a camp counselor to, to be a baseball manager. Well, and I agree with you. You know, and I long for the days of seeing Billy Martin and Earl Weaver and Lou Pinella come out and argue with the umpires the way that they did. You just don't get that anymore. And Billy Martin, was there ever a manager, Mark, that could get the most out of a team that he had in years one and two, and then after that they just fell off the face of the earth? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, Billy Martin was a great motivator. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a guy, he wasn't a big guy. He was, a, what, 5'9", 155, 165 pounds. And I remember him standing up to Reggie Jackson in the dugout, and they were going to duke it out. Uh, you, you'd never see that kind of fire and passion uh, on a baseball field anymore. And, again, the, the, the managers, it seems, are almost afraid of the players, afraid of their, uh, of their power, afraid of their money, afraid to, to make tough decisions. Like, like you just said about the guy wanting to get his dicky, trying to get that win in the playoffs. I mean, in, in, during the regular season, they would have left him in there uh, to get that win. Uh, 20 years ago, they wouldn't have even thought about it. Did you ever hear the story about Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle going hunting on a, on a guy's farm that Mickey knew? No. They, they went out hunting one afternoon. I'll just tell this real quick. And Mickey knew the guy that owned the farm. And he, he walked up to the door and said, hey, you know, it's, it's Billy and I. Mickey was alone. Billy was still in the car. And he says, do you mind if we go hunting on your land? And the guy says, oh, sure. He said, that's no problem. He said, but just do me a favor while you're out back. He said, I got a horse out there that needs to be put down. And he said, 
you know, just, I can't do it. But he said, if you guys don't mind, he said, would you go ahead and put her down for me? And Mickey says, yeah, sure, no problem. So Mickey comes back to the car and he goes, that dirty SOB, he won't let us go hunting on his land. He said, I'll, I'll show him. So Mickey grabbed his gun and walked around the back of the farm and Billy followed him with his gun. And Mickey went up to the horse and he shot him, put him down. Next thing he heard was, bam, bam, behind him. And Mickey goes, what the hell did you just do? And Billy said, I got two of his cattle. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and True story. They swear it was a true story. And, they just, and Billy just drove off. <laughs> but those are some of the stories. Boy, if you ever get a chance to read some stuff about Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle, those, those two were classic. Well, it's time now in our second half hour of tonight's show to get into our award winners for the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And what we're going to do tonight, Mark's going to give away a Reds MVP, Rookie of the Year, and Cy Young Award winner for the Reds. Then I'll give it away for the Indians, and then we'll do the American and National League. And if this turns out to be as good as our predictions were this year, Mark, in Major League Baseball at the beginning of the year, uh, we should probably not put any bets on them you're right so I'll, I'll give you the honors since you were the team you followed the team that finished 64 and 98 and you've got the number one draft pick in this or number two draft pick i should say in next year's minor league draft you feel free to go ahead and tell us who the reds mvp is well that's easy it's it's joey Votto, without any question uh he was the most uh, productive player not only this year, but if you get into, if you go to redlegnation.com, uh, they did a, uh, a story about Johnny, or, uh, Joey Votto and the year he had and put it into historical perspective. And it, it's really amazing. He, he had an incredible year. Many of his statistics better than when he won the MVP in 2010. So uh, without question, Joey Votto was the Reds' most valuable player. And they're, they're, most valuable pitcher had to be a Robles Chapman. Uh, underused, uh, uh, probably going to be traded, uh, but he was, again, peerless as a, as a reliever uh, and did what was asked of him. And people, I, I don't think they understand that, that this guy, what a special talent he is, and it's unfortunate we're probably never going to see him in a Reds uniform again. Why is it you think that you're, you're so convinced that he will be traded? Because they have no chance to win next year. And having and, and this is going to be his third arbitration year. He's going to make a lot of money. And, again, the only way I would keep him, uh, given the money they're going to pay him, is to start him. And if they start him, then the Reds legitimately have a chance to do something next year. Uh, he's going to bring stability to that rotation uh, you have Tony Discaflani, uh, who's, you know, he's going to be ready, I, I think, to take a number two position next year. Probably in May, you're going to have Homer Bailey. You've got uh, Rasil Iglesias, but that, that number one starter is so key, and you've got him sitting right there on your roster. And they can afford him as a starter, but they can't afford him as a reliever. And so I think the Reds are dumb enough they're going to trade the greatest arm that's come down the pike since Randy Johnson. How about the rookie of the year that the Reds have this year? Well, it has to be uh, uh, the shortstop, and his name just went through my head. Suarez? Suarez. Uh, I don't think there's any question that he had the most uh, positive impact on the Reds this year, and Suarez is a guy that they're going to have to find a spot for, uh, and it may be left field. Uh, in fact, I don't know where else they can put him unless they trade uh, Brandon Phillips and put him at second base. But Suarez, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a very good trade for both Detroit and Cincinnati. Uh, when the Reds traded um, the right-hander to Detroit, and they got back Suarez, and I don't think anybody expected the kind of offensive performance from him. Now, I don't think he is, I don't think he's a shortstop. <laughs> I don't think he has the consistency needed to be a shortstop. He makes a lot of errors. But you could put him in left field, and I think he would be terrific in left field. L look what Billy Hamilton did. He was a shortstop. If you can play shortstop, you can play any position on the field except maybe catch and pitch. 
That's that, that's the kind of talent that's required to play shortstop. You have to have a great arm. You have to have speed. Uh, you have to have a good glove. And to move from shortstop to left field is a no-brainer for these guys. It, it's a, it's an easy position to play compared to short. And I don't know where else they put Suarez. Uh, if Zach Kozart comes back and he's healthy, then I think it's an easy decision to make. Could Suarez play center field if they would choose to put Billy Hamilton in a deal? Uh, I don't think he has. No, I don't think he has the speed that that, that Billy Hamilton. Of course, nobody does. Uh, but putting him in left field, uh, you know, does give you the latitude of because of, if he's going to hit 280 and you know he would have hit probably 22, 23 home runs this year if he played an entire season at at uh, shortstop. That's a lot of home runs for a shortstop. Uh, but if he hit, would hit 20 home runs next year, hit 280, 285, what a huge uptick in offense for the Reds. And if they can get Devin Mezzarocco back, you know, the team ought to be okay offensively. So I would keep Billy Hamilton in there on the assumption that somebody can pick up the slack in left field offensively. But, uh, you know, Billy Hamilton... I don't know how anybody could say he has not been a disappointment. He's stolen a lot of bases, but the team has finished collectively the last two years 54 games out of first place. You don't need stolen bases when you're 54 games out of first base, first place. Mark, how long a rope does Brian Price have next year? I think through May. Um, I think they want to you know, see what he can do with these young pitchers. He is a great pitching coach. And... Um, you know, I, I don't think that the Reds are going to, you know, I don't think they're going to have a lot of patience next year. They, they want to, he's, you know, he's under contract for next year. But, Dave, you know, the, the thing that we talked about last week is, at least I did, who's going to want that job? You know, no big name. No, a Madden is not going to come to Cincinnati. He wouldn't have come last year. And there aren't many guys that, that you go out and, and recruit to come into a situation where a team's going to lose for the next two years, maybe longer. So you look internally, you look to Jim Riggleman. Is, is he going to be the guy that is going to take one for the team next year? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a tough situation. And sure, there are guys who will take the job, but <laughs> how much better are they going to be than Brian Price? Well, the Indians finished third in the American League Central this year. They were 81-80. and 80. And I found it interesting that the Indians spent most of the year, Mark, saying that this was a marathon, not a sprint. But Terry Francona last week in his end-of-the-year press conference made a comment that I thought was fairly interesting. Not fairly, it was completely interesting. That in a four-game series that the Indians played against the Chicago White Sox in July, had the Indians won just a pair of those games, in which they gave away three of the four, they would have been right in the mix for the wild card. So a team that spent all year saying it's a marathon and not a sprint, pinpoints a four-game series in Chicago in July that was the problem and caused their entire season full of woes. I just found that rather interesting. When I looked at the Indians' most valuable player, Mark, I really had to think about this one. Um, because there really was nobody that actually stood out. The guy that stood out most to me was Francisco Lindor. And I think he did a lot when he came in to solidify this team. But to sit down and say that he was the actual most valuable player, I just could not bring myself to say that. So I went with Michael Brantley, who had another good year for this team. Ended up on the DL because of a back injury, but he played most of the year with a back injury. And Michael Brantley, I think, has turned into one of the most unsung superstars that this game has over the last couple of years. Now I'm hoping that he's able to keep this up. And we'll see what happens next year. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, back up the truck a minute. Uh, go back to Lindor. Okay, your man Lindor. Why wouldn't you say he's not the most valuable player? You know, I almost did. 
but I just, without Michael Brantley, I don't think they'd be anywhere near where they were. Now, they weren't anywhere near where they were without Francisco Lindor. That's why I'm saying this thing was so tough to choose between him, Lindor, and Jason Kipnis was a third one that I, I really considered giving the award to. That it it was really a, and, and I it was kind of a it was kind of something that I just decided to do because Lindor was getting Rookie of the Year, so give Brantley the Player of the Year. Yeah, Lindor was extremely important. Lindor was a guy that I you know I had said all year that I thought he should have been up at the beginning of the season. Um, he brought some life. He brought some spunk. Is the word that comes to my mind with this team, and he really got them off of their dead butts, and they started playing some baseball when he started playing some baseball. It took him about 20 games to get his legs underneath him in the major leagues, but boy, once that happened, he just took off. And to me, you know, you could make a case for Lindor as MVP, you could make a case for Brantley as MVP, you could make a case for Kipnis for MVP. So no, I'm not going to sit here and say, you're absolutely wrong that I shouldn't have named Lindor as player of the year, because... To me, I, I he was my first choice, but just because I was giving him Rookie of the Year, I went with Brantley. Okay. Um, I mean, I can argue for Lindor, too, for, for a number of reasons, but statistically, I had a hell of a year for the amount of time that he was up. Oh, he did. My Cy Young Award winner, that was another one that I kind of tossed up in the air. It was between Kluber who didn't have a very good statistical year, but really did pitch pretty well this season. Carlos Carrasco was another one. Danny Salazar was another one. You know, I could I could have gone with any one of those three, and I ended up going with Carlos Carrasco because I think he was, over the entire season, was the most consistent pitcher that the Indians have. Now, they'll go into next season with Kluber, Carrasco, and Salazar, as their top three. If Trevor Bauer is still on the team next year, which unless the Indians get a right-handed power bat, I would not trade Trevor Bauer. But if they can get that right-handed power bat from somebody, like a Will Myers from San Diego, or now this guy's left-handed, but a Cole Calhoun out of Calif- out of the Angels, I'd love to have Cole Calhoun in the Indians lineup. If they can get somebody like that, then yeah, I would trade a Trevor Bauer and slide Tomlin and Anderson into that four and five spot. But if they don't, Bauer's going to be number four. Anderson and Tomlin will battle it out for the number five spot. So I gave the Cy Young Award winner for the Indians to Carlos Carrasco this year. I just felt he was the most consistent of everybody this season. You know, looking How at about your- looking at Corey Kluber's stats, it, it certainly points out the the inaccuracy in judging a starting pitcher's year based on wins and losses. His, his numbers, if you didn't look at wins and losses and just looked at innings pitch, strikeouts, walk-to-strikeout ratio, ERA, uh, all the batting average against, whip, all these things, you'd think that a guy would have won 20 games. Yeah, and, and he was he was simply amazing this year. If the Indians would have just scored three runs for him, in every game that he pitched, I, I looked at it. He would have he would have won 19 games this year. That's how good a year he had. And by the way, the Cubs just beat the Cardinals, so they eight to six. So they've taken a two one lead in that National League divisional series at Wrigley Field. Mark, how about your National League MVP, Cy Young Award winner, and Rookie of the Year? Well, I'm going to defer to you first on that. I, I, I'm up in the air in a couple. I'm making my decisions now. So go ahead. Okay, Rookie of the Year was real easy. Chris Bryant of the Cubs. 26 homers, 99 RBIs, a 275 batting average, played great third base. He's he's a shoe-in for the National League Rookie of the Year. The Cy Young Award winner, I don't think there's any doubt, it's Jake Arrieta. Now, yeah, Zach Greinke had a great year. Arrieta was 22-6 and six with a 1.77 ERA. Greinke was 19-3 and three with a 1.65 ERA. But I still got to go with Jake Arrieta because he just was astounding for the Cubs this year. And my National League Most Valuable Player, you're going to hate this, but I'm going to do it. Jake Arrieta, 
If the Cubs didn't have Arietta, they don't make the playoffs. They're not 2-1 up on the Cardinals right now in the divisional series. I know it's voted on before the playoffs. I'm just saying Arietta is my most valuable player. Wow, David. Um, that's that, that's a, <laughs> uh, a very interesting selection. Um, I agreed with you on two of them. Uh, I had Chris Bryant's a shoe in. There was no question about that. Uh, I, I was torn between uh, Arietta, Clayton Kershaw, and and your buddy, um, the guy that you that was second <laughs> for the Dodgers. Oh, Zach Grinky. Zach, Zach Grinky. Uh, those three you could pick, I think, out of the hat. But I think if we're talking about the most valuable, I think it's Arietta without question. Uh, perhaps the most dominating were one of the Dodger pitchers. They both had great years. In the second half of the year, Kershaw was unhittable. And so th- those guys were all, um, you know, I think all tied for first to a large degree. But I, I think Arietta, you're right. Without him, the Cubs don't win. Now, my MVP was Cespedes for the Mets. Uh, when that trade, I know it's unusual to have a guy traded and be the MVP, but I can't think of a guy uh, outside of Arietta who made a bigger contribution to his team to win, and I am quite certain they would not have won without that trade for Cespedes. So uh, Cespedes is my uh, MVP, and I don't think there's, you know, statistically, honest to God, you look at the numbers and um, – Joey Votto is up there. I mean, he's not going to win it, but he'll get some votes because he had a great year, and it's the only bright spot the Reds had. Uh, why didn't you take the uh, the Washington uh, National Slugger? You know, I was just going to ask you, do you, my gut feeling is is that the writers are going to name Bryce Harper. You know, he is such a jerk that I hope he doesn't win because he's a jerk. But, man, that guy, the talent level he has, uh, is really incredible. I can't, I can't think of a player that's come on board uh, the last 20 years that has so much talent as that guy does. I just don't like him, and that's not fair. I mean, I shouldn't let my personal opinion of him uh, decide. But, you know, what, he hit 42 home runs this year and drove in over 100 runs. And, uh, but talk about a team that underperformed. If uh, if they had won, I think he'd have been the MVP. Well, yeah, I mean, when you look at that team, Mark, they didn't win with him. I know, and so that's hard to give him the MVP because of <laughs> I That's why I didn't. Yeah, well, that's why I picked Cespedes, because I, I think uh, the pitchers have their reward at Cy Young. And I'm, I'm not a po- – I mean, Kershaw won both. Was it last year or the year before? Um, I'm not opposed to them getting both, but I, I think that, that Cespedes – made the Mets win. He allowed them to win. And without him, they wouldn't be in the playoffs. Well, as far as the American League was concerned, my American League MVP was Mike Trout. Uh, you, you take Mike Trout off of the Los Angeles Angels, and you've got a team full of nothing. My Cy Young Award winner was an interesting, very interesting debate. But I ended up going with Dallas Keuchel of the Houston Astros. He was 20-8 and this year with a 2.48 ERA. And as far as Rookie of the Year, this was another one that the writers are, gonna, are going to name Carlos Correa. He is going to be the Rookie of the Year, the Houston Astros shortstop. 22 homers, 68 RBIs, a two seventy nine batting average, to me, my rookie of the year is Francisco Lindor, for obvious reasons. But Carlos Correa is going to be the player that wins the American League Rookie of the Year. Your choices? Well, I disagreed with uh, two of yours. I had Josh Donaldson as MVP. Uh, he has done more for Toronto, I think, than any team in the American League. You know, you say that the Angels don't have anything except Mike Trout. <laughs> How about Albert Pujols? How about Josh Hamilton? I mean, what they don't have is any good solid pitching, but there's a... Josh Hamilton's gone. I, I'm sorry, you're right. Josh Hamilton is gone. I, I, you know, I, I said that. I said, wait a minute. He's not with us. He's, <laughs> he's with Texas. I'm sorry. 
anyway, they, they have some talent beyond uh, Mike Trout. Uh, but uh, I, I agree with Dallas Keuchel, and I had Carlos Correa as the, uh, as the rookie of the year. I, I don't see how you could vote against him. Uh, kids playing the toughest position on the field, 22 home runs, and what do you have, 85 RBIs, 89 RBIs? 69, 68. 68 RBIs. That's a lot for a shortstop. Yeah, 22 homers, 68 RBIs, batted 279. That's, that's a hell of a year for a rookie at, at that position. But Josh Donaldson, I, I thought he, he was far more important to Toronto than Mike Trout was to L.A. Yeah, I had a tough time trying to decide between those two. I, I think Donaldson will probably win it. Um, well, no, what I'm saying is Mike Trout will probably win it. I think Donaldson deserves it, but I think Mike Trout will probably win it. I just think that the writers are skewed towards different teams. How about your manager of the year in the National League? Hmm. No, it has to be Madden. I mean, who else could it be? Nobody. That 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 one is a gimme. How about your manager of the year in the American League? And that's a little that's a little tougher. Uh, I, I think the Houston manager. Um, A.J. Hinch? A.J. Hinch, yeah. he's uh, To me, he has taken a team that, you know, w- was questionable at the beginning of the year, and he's got them, you know, into the final game of the playoffs. So, uh, again, I, I think he's a, not a lock, but I think he's a, a logical winner. Yeah, I, I would say that A.J. Hinch probably deserves it. I mean, they had, and I heard today, and I did not know this until today listening to the broadcast, that the Astros had the worst four-year record of any team in divisional history of baseball since 1969. The absolute worst. Well, wait two more years and the Reds might surpass that. <laughs> I, I doubt. I doubt. Mark, who is your most surprising team this year, overall? Uh, well, good or bad surprising? Well, let's go good first. Okay. Um, I think Houston... Uh, I expected Chicago. Well, actually, I picked them near the end, near the bottom of, of the Central. So I guess maybe the Cubs, because they they outperformed maybe by a year what everybody thought they would do. So I was going to say Houston, but I'd say the Cubs. I, I would go with Houston. Who is your surprise team? Worst, the worst surprise. Well, I think it's tied for first. I think the Washington Nationals and the Seattle Mariners. I mean, I think everybody thought both those teams were going to be highly competitive, and um, perhaps the bigger, the bigger bad surprise was Seattle with that pitching staff. Not to have, uh, you know, a better year than they had. I think everybody thought they were going to at least compete in the West. What what team do you see ending up this year that could be the surprise team, good on a good fashion next season? Um. That's a it's a very good question. I'm, I'm trying to think in the in the National League, um, you have to look at it, really it, it. What team was the worst team in baseball this year? It was Philadelphia, but the Reds are only a game behind. <laughs> so, if those teams were to go out and do something in the off season, and they even make it to five hundred next year you'd have to say that was a surprise team, that they really outperformed against expectations as of today. Now, who knows what's going to happen in the offseason, but you know the Reds have a chance, the Phillies have a chance to be greatly improved. I don't think Milwaukee's going to greatly improve. I don't see where they're, they're going to get their talent. So I would say Philadelphia, I think they have a chance. They have some good young talent. And don't forget, they played pretty well the second half of the year, surprisingly. So if you're looking for a team to come out of nowhere, I think it could be Philadelphia in the National League. And I would think Baltimore. They they underperformed this year. They've got some good talent. And, you know, they might make a comeback next year. You know, the team that sticks into the back of my head that I think is going to surprise people next year is San Diego. I, I thought they were going to do a lot more this year. And... I think they had to learn how to play with each other, and, and, and towards the end of the year, they started playing a little bit better baseball. But I, I just got a feeling that San Diego is going to be one of those teams next year that is really going to 
perk up and, and actually do something next season. Mark, what is the one thing that you want to see the Reds do during the off season? Well, Dave, I have a I have a blue notebook here that I keep every time we do a show, and it's been five years now, so it's pretty full. So I'm going to give you my suggestions for next year. The, the Reds new le- they need a new left fielder. Now, whether it's Suarez or it's through a trade or or it's Mezzarocco, but they need a new left fielder. They have they need a new bullpen. They have to retool the bullpen because it cost them more games this year than any factor. It wasn't defense. It wasn't offense. It wasn't even starting pitching. It was the bullpen. They gave it up more than anything else. And they've got to cut down on strikeouts. They, they struck out a whole bunch this year again. And the funny thing was, Dave, I wrote that down earlier today, and I went back and looked at my suggestions after the 2012 season. Guess what they were? What? A new left fielder, redo the bullpen, <laughs> too many Ks from Jay Bruce and, and, and the outfield. So the fact is the Reds haven't done anything substantially to, to improve this team for five years since they won in 2010. The needs they had after that season when they were shut out, uh, where they swept by the Phillies in 2010, remain the same. They could have signed Cespedes. They could have signed Cruz. And those things would have been over. The Reds would have been competitive. They refused to do it. So who knows what they're going to do. But now the fix is a lot more. They need starting pitching. Uh, they need a new bullpen. They need the left fielder. Uh, they, they have to recover from injuries and hope for the best. But this team has the potential on paper right now they could they could be thirty to thirty five games out of first place again a year from today. Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, it's the same thing all over again. You know, you and I have been saying for the last two or three years that the Reds and the Indians need pretty much the same thing, and the Indians are the same way. They need a right handed power stick. Now, I doubt very seriously if that's going to be Chris Johnson, but it looks like that's who they're going to go with right now at the designated hitter position. But if they can bring in somebody, like I said, like a Will Myers or a, uh, uh, like I said, Cole Calhoun with the Angels, although he's left-handed, we need somebody that is going to consistently drive in runs. And those are the two guys that I would be targeting if I am the Indians. Mark, as we wind down this fifth year, it has been kind of a, a bummer as far as both teams were concerned. The Indians were a little bit better. The Reds, you know, they've got to do a lot to get back into the hunt next year. But all in all, you know, once spring training hits in February, the middle of February, again, it's the turn towards the eyes of summer and warmer weather. And every time baseball comes around in the middle of February, I get get the itch again. You know, it's very interesting. The baseball season, everybody says how long it is, but if this World Series has just one or two rainouts, it'll go into November. That means that there's only two months of the year that there's absolutely no baseball. That's December and January. (laughs) It starts up again in February with spring training and goes all the way through October or even early November. So uh, the offseason is not nearly as long as it used to be, so I'm already excited about next year. And, you know, despite all the disappointment, you know, we're we're captives to our own fandom. We can't wait for the season to start, no matter how bad the team performed the year before. And I'm already looking forward to spring training. Absolutely. And our next broadcast will be Monday night, March 7th. Mark, that is our next show that we'll be back at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. Dave, you have a good offseason. You too. And uh, we'll keep in touch. And, Maybe we'll have a special show coming up at, during the winter meetings, and we'll talk about what the Reds and Indians have done. Probably nothing, and if they haven't, there's no reason to have one. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Thanks, Mark. Take care, Dave. That's going to do it for this year's edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. It's been a pleasure to be bringing this to you every Monday night. And like I said, we'll be back again on March seventh, two 2016. Mark Donahue and I for our sixth consecutive year of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And don't forget, coming up this Thursday night, it's the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. A lot of people go into uh, our thanks for helping make this show possible. 
course, we've got Greg Mitchell, our producer. We've got all of you who listen. We've got Linda Jordan, our resident stalker. Mark Donahue, of course. We've got to thank him. But most of all, as I said, our thanks go out to you for listening. Until Monday night, March 7th, 2016 at 9 o'clock, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Have a good week, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially with.